It's going to require leadership. I do want to thank every one of you for your service, your willingness to lead in the church. You know, as a minister, we get paid to lead. We also get a lot of time together to help in our leadership. But I really admire every one of you as Bible talk leaders or family group leaders because you do this out of the goodness of your heart. And you're storing treasure for yourself up in heaven. And so let me, on behalf of all the ministry staff, say thank you. Thank you. Because without you, we couldn't build the church that God wants us to build. We're thinking about leadership today. And the title of my sermon is Grin and Bear It. No, that's not the title of my sermon. Okay. The title of my sermon is Oh No, Another Year. No. How about Leadership is Hard and Then You Die. No. The title of my sermon, if you've looked on your outline, if you have one, is Leadership is Worth It. You know, we all agree that things that are worth it are usually difficult things to do, right? You think of childbearing. It's a difficult thing to do, but it's worth it. You think of building character. It's a difficult thing to do, but it's worth it. You think of establishing a career. It's difficult, but worth it. And leadership is no different. It's difficult, but it's worth it. You know, I'm a UCLA fan. I'm a big UCLA fan. And I got to tell you, it's difficult to be a UCLA fan right now. It's been difficult for going on 10 years. It's brutally difficult, but it is worth it. You've got to hang in there, Bruin fans. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. This is going to be our text for today. Come on, Joe. Come on, Joe. We're going to pray before we read. Father, speak to us through your word this morning. Inspire us, motivate us, encourage us, and focus us on the task at hand for the year. Help us to see that leadership really is worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, Galatians was written by Paul, and it was addressed to the churches in Galatia, which today is sort of central south Turkey. Now, it was written probably sometime after his second missionary journey. There's some debate on that. But the point is that Paul was familiar with the churches in this region. He had been there a couple times before, before he wrote the letter to Galatians. And in the letter, it primarily deals with what we call the Judaizers. These were people who were kind of following along behind Paul on his missionary journey. And they were trying to convince the Christians to go back to the Jewish faith. Or to, or to hold on to some principles of the Jewish faith, like circumcision, things like that. And of course, Paul understood that the Old Testament had been fulfilled in Christ. The Old Covenant had been fulfilled. We were in the New Covenant. And so he wrote the letter to, to the churches in Galatia to dispel the misteachings of the Judaizers. But at the end of the letter to Galatians... Paul goes through sort of a list of items that we call practical Christianity. And if you ever read your Bible, and I know you do as Bible talk leaders, 
When you read the letters to Paul, he often has a specific point. He often is addressing something specific. But at the end of the letter, he sort of goes through these lists of items, like practical Christianity items, like like quick bullet points. You may be familiar with that in some of his letters. Well, Galatians is no different. And this section, Galatians 6-9, is in that sort of practical Christianity list. It's at the end of the letter, and it's just, it's just these little nuggets of wisdom. The context is probably money. He's probably talking about money. When you read the context, the other verses around verse 9 in chapter 6, he uses the same kind of language he uses when he talks about money. And so, you know, the, 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 the specific point might be, hey, let's not, be grow, let's not become weary in doing good. Let's not give up giving. Let's not stop giving of our resources. Let's not grow weary in doing that. And by the way, I want to thank you for all the giving that you do throughout the year, both in your service, but also financially to the church. Amen. It makes a huge difference. And Amen. we don't want to grow weary in doing that. Right. But even though that, that may be the specific point that Paul is making... These, these principles have broader application. They apply to broader areas of life. And in particular, they apply to leadership. If we do good and we don't give up, there will be a harvest. Leadership is worth it. Let's look at the first part of the verse. Let us not become weary in doing good. Now, it is clear in Scripture that God expects all of His people to be involved in Doing good. As Christians, we are not only believers. We are also behaviors. We are expected to do good. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a teen, whether you're in the deaf ministry, whether you're in the Latin ministry, whether you're in the campus ministry, even if you live in Santa Barbara, you are expected to do good. shoreline. They've got to do good. It's not just for the valley. Every disciple is expected to do good. And this is even more true of ministers and leaders. We are expected to do good. You know, after all, we are followers of Christ. And it was said in Scripture about Christ that He went around doing good. How much more should it be said of us that we go around doing good? We have the appointments. We get into the Bible studies. We have the counseling time. We get up early and share our faith, have our quiet time. We live righteously. These are things that we do that are good. And I want to say that I believe as a whole, every person in this room is a do-gooder. I think every one of you ought to pat each other on the back and say, good job for doing good. We are all do-gooders. And I want to thank you for the good that you do. Without the good that you do, it would be hard to lead this ministry. It would be hard to see this ministry grow. We need And as leaders, you are do-gooders, and I want to thank you for that. However, today probably is not going to be the last day of your life. 
more than likely for all of us, there's going to be many more days still to come before we hear Christ say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And that means we've got to be doing good for a lot longer than just up to today. We haven't reached our quota of doing good. And that's why Paul warns us to not become weary. Weariness is death to do good. You know, as Christians, we get weary. There's so much to do. I can't get to it all. There's always opposition. There's so much ingratitude. There's so much the same old, same old. The same old no-shower to Bible talk. The same old non-giver. The same old doubters. The same old complaints. And we grow weary. We get frustrated. We get tired of dealing with the same old, same old. One big thing is results. It's hard to stay doing good when you don't see results. And after a while, it it feels like nothing good will ever happen. We get weary. You know, I'm a UCLA fan. And I am tired of the same old, same old. It's getting hard. We get tempted as disciples, as leaders in God's church to quit. Because doing good seems to do no good. Regardless of those experiences, regardless of those feelings, Paul's advice to us is to not become weary in doing good. We got to continue leading our Bible talk. We got to continue prepping for the message on Friday night so you have something to say to the two that show up. You got to still have the counseling appointment. You got to still make time in your schedule to be in the Bible study. You got to keep on ministering, keep on serving, keep on helping, keep on doing the Lord's work. Why? Because at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. It is worth it. Paul says, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, the picture here is of a farmer. Now, I'm not a farmer. I've never been a farmer. I know, I think, two people who grew up on farms. Well, maybe three. Renee, did you grow up on a farm? Kind of. Ron, well, it's Oregon, so it's got to be a farm. So Ron and Renee are from Oregon. It's probably a farm. And Cheryl Hammer grew up on a farm. Anybody else grow up on a farm? Right here. Oh, there's a lot of farmers in this room. Way to go, farmers. The image here is of a farmer. I've been on a farm. I've not worked a farm, but I've been on a farm. I know what they look like. 
of a weariness, it's the farmer. I mean, the farmer has to constantly stay on the job. He's got to prepare the soil. He's got to sow the seed. He's got to pull the weeds. He's got to water the plants. He can't take a break. There's long hours. There's the hot sun. There's the cold days. There's the rain. And the farmer keeps on farming. And even then has to wait for a harvest. But even more, sometimes a farmer doesn't even get the harvest. But as Christians, we are promised a harvest. So we may have to wait, but there is absolutely a promise that if we keep on doing good, having the appointments, leading the Bible talk, having the counseling times, sharing our faith, having our quiet time, loving our wife, being a good example to our kids, on and on and on. If we keep on doing the good things that we as leaders are supposed to do, you are promised, maybe not right away, but you are promised a harvest. It is a promise. And so we cannot become weary in doing good. You may feel like there's too much to do. But a lot of good gets done. You may feel like there's too much opposition, but then there's the satisfaction of overcoming. You may feel like that there's too much ingratitude, but then there's the thank then there's thankfulness and the joy that comes with gratitude. You may feel like there's too much of the same, the complaints, the no-showers, the doubters, but then there's refreshing when that when you see repentance. You may feel like that results don't come quickly, but then there's fulfillment when they do come. You may feel like nothing good will ever happen, but then God intervenes. I want to thank you again for all the time you spend trying to reach people. Helping the people in the church and trying to reach people out of the church. It's hard work. It's difficult. But there will be a harvest. I talked to my sister two days ago. Now, many of you may know my sister Bunny and her husband Pat are disciples. They got baptized about two years ago. Amen. They're, they're, they're great. I love them. But, you know, after a little bit of getting baptized, they started flaking on Bible talk. And they started flaking a little bit on church in midweek. And then after some time, I got a phone call. And it was one of those phone calls. You know those phone calls? You go, oh, no. You hear it in their voice. She says, Joe, i got to talk to you. I go, oh, no. I'm thinking, you know, that's it. They're leaving the church. They've given up, whatever. She says, Pat and I have been thinking. We haven't been doing really well. We need to get more Bible study in. After I got up off the floor, I said, yes, okay, we'll do Bible study. I didn't know what to study with them at the time. I was... Wondering, so I just started reteaching my midweek lesson because they weren't there anyway, so I thought I would just teach them. So we get together every week and I'd go over my midweek lesson and we did that a couple weeks in a row, a couple weeks in a row, and time went on and lo and behold, they showed up at midweek. I didn't even talk about coming to midweek. Started getting more consistent coming to church. They started doing better. Talked to her two days ago and I said, hey Buns, I want to 
tell you, I want to share your story to the Bible talk leaders. Is that okay? And she said, yeah, that, that's fine. Go ahead. I said, yeah, it'll be really encouraging to people. Gave her the idea, leadership's worth it. And, you know, we hang in there with each other and eventually good things happen. She goes, yeah. And she goes, oh, and by the way, we've been thinking about it and we need to start going to Bible talk again. Yes. <laughs> and I want to thank John and Dana Teal personally because they have hung in there with Pat and Bunny. They've not given up on them. And what I really appreciate about uh, John and Dana is they didn't get to complaining about them. It's easy to do. I complained about them. But, you know, John and Dana just have been patient the whole time. And they didn't get an attitude. Or at least they didn't express an attitude. Maybe they they had one. But they never told me about it. And that was a good thing. But they have just faithfully been real positive and always held out that hand of fellowship to Pat and Bunny. And after some time and after some doing good and they're hanging in there and doing good and me getting in there with Bible study, they're starting to reconnect and get back involved and plug back in. we got to keep on doing good. Because there is a harvest. And it makes leadership worth it. You know, ultimately, there's going to come a day, Jesus said, in the Sermon on the Mount, that we are storing up our treasures in heaven. And there's going to come a day with all this do-gooding we're doing. Jesus is storing up treasure in heaven. And there's going to come a day where He's going to say to every one of us, Well done, good and faithful servant. And I think we're going to respond and say, You know, it was totally worth it. Thank you. kicking some some bum. And our quarterback's coming back next year for another round because he said it's worth it. Not exactly those words, but that's what he was kind of saying. It's worth coming back. And I know some of you, this is probably your 20th, 30th leaders meeting in your life like this in a region. I mean, you guys have been to so many. You guys are veteranos. Shout out for the Latin ministry. That's all the Spanish I know, so that's it. That's it. Don't try to recruit me because I'm a coconut. I may be brown, but I'm a honky on the inside. serving, for, for doing things above and beyond after a 40 hour, 50 hour 
having children, raising kids, working on your own marriage and, and family dynamics and the challenges that lie in there. Being a college student and studying and learning and getting your education, and yet you're here. Thank you. You know, I think what Joe said was very true. It's worth being here. It's worth leading. You know, the title of this lesson is Looking Forward to the City, Whose Architect and Builder is God. I'm sorry for the long verse, but that's what the title was. It's in the scripture. Amen. And it's important for you, as a leader of your group, it's important how you see your group, your ministry. How you interact with that ministry. How you see the future of that ministry matters. It matters because faith must be involved. This is a long-term topic. You know, once you're a leader, and then you, you somehow you step out of leadership, there's a longing to get back in it. Because that's how you were made. You were made to leave. That's why you're here. God gave you a special amount of faith and endurance to be here. So when something is long term, there has to be a deep-seated motivation in why you keep going. Think about things that you really wanted, wanted to do and you got it done. You know, it took me seven years to graduate from college, and I got it done. It took me a long time to get out of college math, but I did it. C's get degrees. You know, my, my belly, I was like, oh, snap, that's crazy. So I'm going to start running. You know, my friend Steve Burns started, he wanted to start running. He's like, oh, we're going to do that. Chris Tang was in a marathon. I tried to join it and do a little relay of it. And then I got injured. My knees started hurting. And it exposed my low-level motivation to run a marathon. It was something cool, not something deep-seated. I just liked the shirt they gave me. I want to see God. Yeah. 
I want to see His face. So building for God is worth it. It's worth it because you have a reason why you're here. And when things get hard, that has to be your go-to. Why am I doing this? Oh yeah, it's worth it. You have to have the big picture in mind. We can't lose sight of this during the journey. We can lose sight of it when it gets tough. Like Joe said, he kind of gave you a litany of the, you know, the two brothers that show up to Bible talk. Why am I doing this? In Hebrews 11, verse 8, let's look there. Let's look at Abraham. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You know, the context of this letter is written to older Christians who were considering going back to Judaism. Going back to the old way. You know, sometimes you think about that as a leader. Man, wouldn't we just be great if I'm just a disciple in a group? That'd be awesome. I'd be the best disciple in the group. I just don't want to leave the group anymore, but I just want to be the greatest Christian in the group. You ever have that feeling? I've had that feeling. I just want to be an awesome disciple again. But the reality is, you were called for so much more than that. You know, and, and, the, and the writer here talks about this new, this, I mean, really it's heaven. The deep-seated motivation for Abraham in this context was to get to the next city. But that city was built by God. Amen. And we have a lot of cities around us, do we not? Yeah. Yeah. Now if you back it up in verse 8, let's look there just for a quick minute here. In verse 8, or I'm sorry, that was verse 10, I read back to verse 8. By faith Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him of the same promise. You know, I've got a few pictures I want to show you. I'm not sure if you can see them from your side. But there's a few photos here. I'll give you a quick little flash. I don't know if you can see that. But that is the excavated site of the ancient city of Ur, where Abraham, in the Bible, lived. If you you want to uh, just go back back a few slides. I'm going to go forward a slide or two. Next slide. There it is. There's an artist's rendition of what the city was like. It was metropolitan. It was commercial. It was a good situation. Abraham had a lot that he accumulated. He was wealthy there. It was a great place to be, a great place to stay, a great place to raise your kids, a great place to do anything. He could have stayed. But God called him on a journey. And he left this place. If you go back one slide, that place is now in ruins. It wasn't the city with foundation whose architect was God. You know, I live in Moore Park. 34,000 people. It's an awesome little city. But it, it doesn't have everything I want or need in the city. I gotta go to Simi Valley. I gotta go to Oxnard. I gotta go to Costco. It doesn't have things you want. But that is not the city that I want to dwell in for the 
my days. We're looking forward to a city that's different. Next slide. Next slide after that. This is the uh, the temple. This is a, a big temple by the uh, created for the God who was the God of their time was Nana or Nana, the moon God. And it's interesting to know that Abraham's father in Joshua 24 verse 2 worshipped other gods. And this was most likely one of the gods he worshipped. And Abraham called, a God called Abraham, even though his father was not a worshipper of the most high God. You know, a lot of us, we grew up, you know, without parents who were, you know, disciples. And we, we got called on this journey. And some of us were blessed with parents who were disciples. And that's an awesome thing. But for me and most of us, we didn't grow up that way. And so this journey to go. And so he goes on in the next slide. The Bible says they end up in Haran. And they stay there. And this is where the excavated site of Haran is. This is the site where, you know, uh, Abraham's father died. You know, and, you know, you've easily could have stopped there and said, you know what? I, I've been through a lot. You know, I'm discouraged. You know, this year, last year, my, my, my wife had a, a few deaths in the family. And it was tough. Even our dog died suddenly after 10 years. It was just, an, it was just a tough go. And, you know, the temptation is, to, is just to sit there and just, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just time to relax and just not keep going. Just take it easy and, you know, go back to being a disciple. This was a temptation, I'm sure. And it was from here that God recalled them to go to the land of Canaan. Next slide. And you can, I don't know if you can see this map. But this map from Burr all the way to Canaan tracked almost 800 miles. That's like you walking from Oxnard just past Salt Lake City, Utah. That's the journey. No RTD. No Prius. No nothing. Just you and your donkey. Walk. It had to be a deep-seated motivation. It has to be. That's our journey. It parallels our journey. Our life. And things are going to get hard along the way. People are going to die in our family. Our parents are getting old. And we're going to experience what Abraham experienced. The temptation to say, you know, it's, it's time just to settle down and stop the journey. That's why we need a deep-seated motivation. The journey is long. The desire has to be deep in us. Amen. You know, I saw a quote this morning on Facebook. Yeah, I'm a Facebooker. It read, you know, and I like, you know, reading these little quotes because it, you know, reminds me of, you know, sometimes of what I'm doing. It, yeah, this is why I'm doing it. If it's if it's important to you, you'll find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. I thought, wow, I'm going to use that this morning. Abraham obeyed and went, even though he did not know how God's will would be accomplished. You know, we can do a lot of things. You guys have done a lot of great things over your years as disciples. Yet, we need to look at what we're striving for. The city with foundations. God is the architect. You know, Abraham obeyed and went when he did not know where he was going. Many of us were veterans. We're veteran disciples. We're veteran leaders. 
But is your heart ready to be moved this morning? Or is your heart ready? Or is this just another leader's meeting? Is your heart open to being moved by God? Will you allow God to lead you? And sometimes where you don't know where He's taking you. And that's scary because we have to have that calendar, right? We have to know what's happening. What's on the agenda. If it doesn't happen, you know, it messes us up. You know, our counter and God's counter may be on two different wavelengths. And we have to leave room for God to do His thing. we got to do that. You know, long term. You know, I don't like feeling like a stranger. I, you know, I, I kind of like people to, to like me. I don't know about you, but I like feeling like light. And sometimes you can go into your ministry and you cannot be liked. You may have to say some, some uncomfortable things to, to a close friend. And he might be like, hey man, I thought we were boys. And like, yeah, but I got to tell you stuff. And then he starts treating you like a stranger. Like, I thought we were homies. Because sometimes you have to have a tough talk with a close friend. You feel like a stranger sometimes. You know, Abraham lived in the future tense. You know, 2011, it's gone. We can't ever change that reality. It's gone. It's done. You can't go back. And we can't live in the past tense either. We, you know, sometimes you can't live in the present tense. You've got to live in the future tense. What's ahead? What do you want? You know, obey, obeying and going. That's pretty simple for most of us. We got that down. That's why we're leaders. We know how to obey and go. Oh, yeah? Okay, I'll do that. Don't know where you're going? That sounds kind of crazy. A lot of things we want in life is to, is to do good for God, but it requires sometimes not knowing. You know, I appreciate Rebecca, you know, Tang from Santa Barbara. You know, it's during holidays. You know, all the Bible studies didn't make it. I'm just going to pray for a miracle baby. When I hear that, I was like, ugh, that's difficult to pray for. She throws it up there to God. Husband's like, wow. I'm like, whoa, that's not going to be answered. <laughs> Boom! There it is. Miracle baby. Disciples baptized. She didn't see it. No one saw it. I didn't see it. I was like, it's, it's kind of you know, holidays. Just finals time. Boom. Humbled. I was like, wow. Where am I at? How am I doing? We are the ones. If we don't act, our people won't act. You know, just a few days ago, this, this last past week, I read a story that I was just captivated by. I was watching the news and there was a, a, a father, a, a son, a man named Chris Willard and his father were driving in Salt Lake, Salt, Lake, Salt Lake City, Utah in a snowy little bridge and they came across a car that was turned sideways and they looked at the car and they looked to the left and under a river they found a car upside down and they saw a father frantically trying to open the car doors because three of his children were inside. Two nine-year-olds and a four-year-old boy. So the father and son run down the embankment, and the fa- uh, the, the, the guy Chris Willard uh, realizes that the, the doors can't be open. Pulls out his uh, you know his handgun. I guess it's Utah. <laughs> Second Amendment for Joe Collins, right there. He puts it up against the rear windshield. And, and, and blows out the back window and tries to frantically grab what he can inside. And as, as, he's, as he comes up, he doesn't have anybody with him. 
But as he looks up, eight people come running down the embankment who happen to stop, get out of their car. They didn't just go say, oh, they got it handled. They jumped out of their car, ran down there, and all eight of them lifted the car up a little bit for him to go inside and cut three kids out, two with the seatbelt, and one was just kind of floating in the water. He inhaled too much water into his lungs. And they were to be able to get him out, get the three kids out, and one of the eight people began doing CPR on two of the children and resuscitated both of them. And it moved me because a man's decision to act, people follow that. They followed him into the icy waters. You know, Chris Willard had three children of his own, yet he took the risk. He's all, there's no way I can see children just be dead. I have to do something. You know, many of, of the lives in the church and visitors that come, their lives are like a car wreck turned upside down. And they're drowning in that water. And their kids are drowning and frustrated. Their life is frustrating and they're just dying. What are we going to do? That's why we have to act. That's why we got to do something. That's why we have the motivation. Long term. Every visitor that comes, you know their car's upside down. Their life's upside down. It's important for us that we make faithful decisions and act on them. It's part of our ancestry. It's part of our history. It's part of our makeup. That's who we are. That's why we became disciples. To change the world. Not just to grow up in Haran or stay in Ur. We want to go to the promised land and that's heaven. Everyone's building something. Every time you have. Every time you share your life. Every time you share your faith. Every time you invite someone with an invite. Every time you do something good. You're building something. But know this. This last scripture. Know this. For every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Glory. Yeah.